On this episode, we get to the bottom of what all the hype is around option trading. Welcome to episode 10 of Think at Heart. Are you ready? Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> all right. Episode 10. I'm Scott Goodfellow. And as always, this is Ben Hart, Hart Investment Group. And you know, there's been a lot of hype around option trading all of a sudden. Don't you think? Like there's been, ever since GameStop, everybody has an opinion about and wants to know what is option trading, number one. And when you try to explain it, still nobody knows what it is, right? <laughs> so we went out and we found an expert on it. And he is Ryan Marr. Ben, why don't you take it away from there? Okay, sounds good. Thanks, Scott. Yeah, I know uh, further what Scott's saying, there's been lots of questions about options for obviously clients that uh, know me. I've I run with uh, option protection within portfolios. Found over the years is that it really adds some stability to clients' portfolios. And what I found is there's not a lot of managers that actually truly manage an option strategy. And I've been working with Waypoint for the past year or so. They run a strategy that focuses almost exclusively on options. So Ryan's going to talk today, and I'm really excited to hear what he has to say. You know, not too many people want to get into the weeds and talk about options. So I'm excited about that part. And Ryan, maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell me a little bit about, uh, I know we had a good chat offline before we started recording. Maybe you can give me uh, some details and then, then we can dive in. I'm Ryan Marr. I'm a portfolio manager in, in Canada focused on uh, Canadian equities as well as Canadian options being both put and call options on the uh, on Canadian equities traded on the Montreal Exchange. I've been uh, involved in that market for you know well over a decade and run a strategy that focuses on that asset class being volatility. It's not something that is uh, commonly understood in in, in Canada, but uh, happy to provide uh, as much detail as uh, as I can to help uh, educate the listeners. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm glad that you're here because I've been looking for somebody that can get in the weeds with Ben because he always tries to talk to me about this stuff. You know, it's way over my head and he just wants to get in there and, you know, get all the minutia and all the detail. So I'm glad that you're here. I'm just going to sit over here. I might take a nap, you know, uh, you guys wake me up when this is over, you know, we'll keep it interesting. We'll keep it interesting. You know when we said like you got to really break it down for that ten year old, that's really for my own benefit. Right? <laughs> so if, if you if you could just break that down, start as simple as you can about what options are exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So they're often referred to as as derivative instruments, which is really to explain that it's not the same as buying a stock or a bond. Uh, what you're doing instead is you're buying a contract that allows you to purchase a stock or a bond at a particular price on or before a particular date. So in the case of a call option, let's say on, a, on an equity position on a stock, it will have really two primary components. It will have the underlying strike price, so the price at which you are agreeing to purchase that security, and it will have an expiry date. So you have to be willing to purchase that security at that strike price, at that particular price, by that specific expiry date. And in the case of a put option, it's the opposite. It's the, the price that you're willing to sell a security at by a particular specific expiry date. And there's a premium, there's a, a cost to doing that type of business. 
and that is referred to as as options premium. And and the reason why it's become so popular to you, sort of that that point you made earlier was because there's been a number of strategies that have been introduced in the last really decade that try and provide exposure to that asset class from the perspective of of yield or or enhancement or income enhancement for a portfolio. So that premium, if you will, can be often referred to as as income enhancement or, or, or an alternative to, let's say, a dividend that you're receiving on a particular security. So if you're willing to sell options, for example, it's a form of, of income enhancement for a portfolio. And as a result of where we are in the economic cycle and where interest rates are, that that particular use of options has has made its way into sort of the mainstream and has increased the the interest in the asset class. But of course, like most things, there's a lot more to it than just that. But certainly that's been, you know, why it's on so many more investors' radar screen in the current period. Yeah, so that point you make, obviously I want to go into a few more things, but a simple example that you're describing, right, is you own, let's just say, shares of Bank of Nova Scotia. You want to generate some additional yield, you sell some calls against it. Is that what you're describing? That's right. If you have a position or you own uh, shares in any particular security and and you want to you know, increase the amount of income that that, that position or that, that investment is providing you, you can sell options as a way of, of collecting that income. And uh, there's a cost to doing that, of course, as well. It means that you're either capping your upside or increasing your downside when you're doing that. But again, because of how low interest rates are, that opportunity to make some additional income is very attractive. The other side of that equation, of course, is you might be long, like you said, owning Bank of Nova Scotia, and you just want to protect yourself from a potential decline in that security. And in that case, you're buying options, you're investing in that premium. You're the one purchasing the premium. And in that case, it's almost like an insurance policy, quite frankly. It's like you're paying something in order to protect against the potential or the chance of, of that position declining. And so in that case, that's owning options or owning owning put options. Uh, the alternative is instead of owning Bank of Nova Scotia, you can buy a call option. And in that case, you're buying the potential, you know, you're buying that potential upside. It really is an alternative way of getting exposure to underlying equities as opposed to just buying the outright equity itself. So before we get too too much in the weeds, I'd say maybe we can talk a little bit about the origins. Like how did options start trading? How long have they tra- traded in Montreal? Like how has that been set up? Maybe just like what was the original reason for putting this type of uh, vehicle in place. You know what? Like it goes back a very long time. Um, yeah. You know, back before there were were official exchanges. I mean, we used to have um, almost just like brokerage houses that you could walk into off the street, almost like gambling, frankly. And a lot of those periods, instead of when you actually today, when you buy a security, when you buy a stock, you actually own that that stock. Back in the days before there was, you know, structured exchanges and and regulation, you could go into one of these stock trading houses and, and it was really what was referred to as like a cash settlement. And so you never actually owned the stock. You were just really betting on the direction of that security. And that was the equivalent of options. And like everything in this business, as it's been institutionalized and people like yourselves, you know, we all are licensed. There's regulation around this. You no longer can just 
do that. There's there's protections for investors today. And so there's established exchanges. And so Montreal, the Montreal Exchange is obviously the established regulated uh, exchange for trading those obligations in the case of, of uh, cash settlement or buying or selling these these derivatives. So it's it's been around for for you know hundreds of years trading options. The Montreal Exchange itself has been around for for over 150 years and it actually owns some some interests in in uh, in exchanges in the US as well. But it's a well-established asset class. It's been around for a long period of time. For sure. So who would, you know, you have the Montreal Exchange and then you'd have the individuals that transact and kind of make the market, we'll say in the options market, who would, who would that typically be? Who would be the one? So 50% of the market in Canada is, is Bank of Montreal. They are the primary market maker in Canada for the derivatives exchange. The remaining market share is really split between Toronto Dominion Bank, CIBC, and, and National Bank for Canadian for Canadian derivatives. That market share obviously is, it moves around over time. But you know, Bank of Montreal and TD have tended to dominate that market. And and I want to emphasize, you know, this point because it's a great question. You know, in the US, for example, that market would be much more of a traditional agency-based market. You know, for if I'm wanting to buy an option, there might be someone, you know, you might be on the other side of that purchase as a seller of that option. In Canada, that's really not the case. You're trading with the primary financial institutions in Canada that help establish that that marketplace. Interesting. Does that make it a lot uh, less liquid than it would be in the US? Yeah, it's, it's considerably less liquid in Canada. Like anything, the Canadian banks tend to tend to have a big role to play. Just like our equity exchanges, they're the you know the primary market maker, and so uh, liquidity is really you know dependent on 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 that counterparty relationship and experience. So you know at, at Waypoint, we've we've been in this market for a very long time. And as a result, you know, liquidity isn't, isn't an issue for us. But certainly if you're, yeah. you know, an individual investor and you're on your online brokerage account, your ability to get fair pricing and liquidity in the options market is much more challenging. Fair enough. So I, I guess a couple of points that you bring that up, I'd like to think around. So you decide you want to take a position in security, then would you go and you'd call Bank of Montreal and say, Here's what I want to do, or do they come to you when they're when they have options that they need to trade, or how would that work? Right, it's a combination. It's it's both. So you know, if we're looking to okay. establish a particular, let's say we have a we are long a bunch of equities and we want to just protect the you know protect our our, our investment. You know, we we'll, right. we can call up our our relationships on the derivatives desk at the Bank of Montreal, for example, and look to purchase protection for those securities or purchase put options or, or different put option uh, structures in order to protect that investment. But the other side it occurs also. So, you know, in the case where the bank is looking to, to hedge or offset the risk that they might be taking on. So I'll give an example. You know, if you have an yeah. institutional client wanting to buy, like you said, you know, 100,000 shares of Bank of Nova Scotia, and for whatever reason, the bank can't source 100,000 shares of Bank of Nova Scotia to sell to that client. Maybe they can only source 90,000 shares. So they have a choice. They can either take the risk of selling 10,000 shares additional and, and try and find a buyer down the road they can take the shares from. Or alternatively, they can go to their options desk and say, hey, why don't you give Ryan a call and see if he wants to buy 
buy some protection on on Bank of Nova Scotia. By doing that, if they're buying me promises of being able to sell Bank of Nova Scotia at a certain price, theoretically that bank that that position is then an obligation for them to buy shares from me at a particular price. So there's so they're synthetically long or owning that security at a particular price, which then allows them to take on the liability on their cash desk. So it's working within that dynamic. So again, very common in, in, in the options market in order to, to generate that liquidity that you need in order to establish the positions. Yeah, so I definitely, I'd like to dig in a little bit in the, uh, further on in our conversation. Maybe you can tell me about how structured products play, play a role in, uh, in the options market in Canada. Before we get to that, I'd like to kind of bring us back to, to the options. So I look at, uh, yeah, I think there's more to cover, but I look at, for example, you know, Scott mentioned GameStop at the at the top of our conversation here. I just want to give like a, a kind of a specific example here. Maybe you can walk me through kind of the, the thinking around it. But, you know, like uh, you got uh, GameStop closing at 256 today. You know, they got options expiring tomorrow at a 260 strike and they're trading at $13.35 still. So... How would you kind of rationalize that? And like, how does that kind of, uh, you know, how does that, how does that balance? Why would people be doing? It? First of all, op- derivatives and options, generally speaking, had historically been an instrument really dedicated, you know, dedicated to the institutional investor community because they are instruments that have embedded characteristics of leverage. Although I, I'm, I'm being, I'm exaggerating a bit here when I say this, but theoretically, you know, depending on your investment, there's that risk of unlimited loss, the ability to lose all your of your money when maybe that's not your certainly not your intention, and so you know when you have, uh, I mean, investors can have, gain exposure to, to can get leverage through a number of of different ways today. Options are probably the number one instrument, financial instrument, where you can get the most leverage as an investor. So from a starting point, an investor that's really looking to speculate and take advantage of market you know, behavior, um, almost like betting, <laughs> uh, you can yeah. use options as a way of really you know, amplifying your returns. And so just as, a, as an example, if you wanted to buy an at the money, so, so a long position at the money, Meaning that every penny that you know this that existing that whatever you were betting would go up, every penny would be a benefit to you if that security went up. You can do that today, you know, at fifty times leverage in the options market on index-related exposures. So, so that is why they're popular. That's that's the that's the first the first reason. And again, not traditionally available to investors, but this has changed as as financial instruments and and online brokerages have really democratized access to these these products but when it comes to you know the specifics around what's happened with some of these popular sort of investments that have taken place with like the game stops of the world the options market is like i said it's it's a derivatives market it it is it is requires a counterparty meaning it requires if you're buying an ob- if you're buying a promise to to purchase uh, a security at a specific price that means someone implicitly is selling you those rights so if you have a right to buy GameStop at $260 it means someone has has agreed to sell you GameStop at $260 and they have to estimate or price their risk 
to estimate is, you know, on that expiry date, like you said, that tomorrow, what are the odds that GameStop will be $260? And that that price right now, given where the stock closed at $256, is 13 or $16, whatever you said the premium was. And so someone, some people who are selling that, the market is saying that that within a high degree of probability, like you know, you know, know, within a 90% probability, GameStop will not go to $270 tomorrow or not close at $270 tomorrow. The problem yeah. with this, of course, is um, you know, these the, we've seen we've seen in a number of you know circumstances people's inability to make those predictions accurately. So so yeah. that pricing, that premium that people are paying, like you don't really, it, it's usually pretty sophisticated, meaning that over time, people who are selling these these agreements or these options are pro yeah. like, they, why would they do that unless they were consistently making money? Unless it was sure. their, their expectations of profit were always, you know, positive. So, so sure. with any individual circumstance, like a GameStop, Certainly, there can be exceptions to that, but generally speaking, you have to just believe that the, these options are priced effectively. That the maker, the market maker, is doing it because they are generally making a small profit. GameStop is an example of where there is so much on, so much speculation on both sides. And so yeah. the people selling those options and those people buying those are both speculating. And so right. as a result of that, it's creating these dynamics in the market that's really impacting the the implied risk that is being that is being priced in these securities. So, you know, this is yeah. always a chance. This can always occur in any instrument. It's just very rare. So, you know, because of some of the the popularity in this particular circumstance, it's a unique situation. But by no means is that the norm in the options market. So what so what goes into pricing an option? So how how would you how do you go about assessing if it's priced appropriately? What are the inputs to the price an option? So there there are a number of inputs. But the primary one that it, that everyone you know that you need to have a good sense of is is volatility, and you know it's very hard to 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 talk about volatility as a tangible thing. Like it's it's this it's this mathematical sort of academic idea. But the simple way to to think about it is really just you know within a pick your period of time. So let's say you're buying a 30-day option. It is, if you were to look at every 30 days uh, for that particular stock, it's how much does that stock tend to move up or down within 30-day periods. That is volatility. And so that is the primary the primary factor that that options investors are looking at. So for example, if you had a stock that was $10 and every 30 days you would expect that stock to go up a dollar or down a dollar. So within 30 days, every single time you looked at it, the stock was either, you know, $11 or $9. Then if you were selling an option on that security at that I was at the money, so the ability to buy or sell that op, that security at at $10, you would naturally want to begin pricing it at a dollar because you'd want to make sure that if the stock typically as it typically did went up a dollar or down a dollar you were not losing money as the seller as the person making the market in that option and so that is the primary that is the primary factor that that options investors focus on there are some other factors around interest rates that that also that also uh, impact 
uh, the pricing of options, but given where interest rates are today, it's really not that that relevant. The number one factor is is volatility, and and that asset class because it is an asset class is one that you know has become very increasingly an area of interest for investors because of the way that you can use options to get explicit exposure to that concept of volatility it's that is the that is the primary factor that we focus on in this market and as you say each security has volatility i think people generally understand market volatility but each individual one has their own their own ball set up right that's right and and again, it, this is a very numerical sort of academic mathematical thing. It's 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 hard. It's not yeah. like uh, you can't go out and and buy, go to your grocery store and buy volatility. You can't go into the stock yeah. market and buy volatility. But you can express exposure, express the asset class using derivatives, uh, using options. And it's a very, it's again, you know, going back to to some of the the concepts of protecting investors' capital or or just the number of the of the tools available to to investors today. Volatility has become an increasingly popular tool to accomplish yeah. certain objectives in a client in, a, in an investor's portfolio. Well, at least last year, we saw a couple of the institutions kind of blow up on short volatility trades. So maybe you can say exactly what, what were they doing there? Like, uh, obviously, we saw Alberta Alberta blow up. What, what were they doing? So the easiest way, the, the way to describe this is really to make the comparison to, to insurance companies. So, so in the, 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 the belief, I mean, insurance companies, we all have, all of us have an automotive insurance. And the reason why we buy automotive insurance, obviously, is we get into a car accident, you know, we're protecting our, ourself from the loss that could take place in, in, in an accident like that. And obviously, no one goes out uh, every day looking to get into a car accident. So it's, uh, it, you know, we pool our risk. And for those that are unfortunate to have you know that that risk realized, they have that protection. And uh, the insurance companies price our premiums such that the total you know collections of premium, the total premiums paid, are greater than the payments they have to make for people who get into car accidents. So that's how they make money. So the options market is you know generally perceived to be the same. It's the idea that you can buy these insurance policies or sell these insurance policies, knowing that, you know, as a seller, for example, of these insurance policies, you're pricing them such that you're over any period of time, you expect to make money. You expect to create to to earn more premium than you'll have to pay out in profits. Unfortunately, unlike car accidents, for example, stock markets are not that predictable. Okay. Whereas car accidents and natural disasters actually are. There is a, a a general, you know, statistical likelihood of these these you know real world events occurring. Whereas in the stock market, that's not the case. They truly are unpredictable. And this is, yeah. you know, we hear this from you know the the very beginnings of portfolio theory of this idea of the market being a random walk. This this you know some some of your your listeners might be familiar with that concept. This idea that that it truly is random. And as a result of that, you can't ever with the same degree of certainty uh, price derivatives as insurance policies. 
But because of that framework, that familiarity with insurance policies, people like in any yeah. in, in finance like to use tools and, and, and ideas that are familiar to them, you know, taking concepts from other areas of, of investment and finance and applying them to the equity markets and derivatives as a way of trying to model outcomes. And so, you know, the, the this concept that you're referring to is this idea that that became very popular over the last real decade called, you know, volatility risk premium strategies. This idea that we systematically price this premium to cover the losses. The same concept of the insurance world. We systematically price the insurance such that the losses are less than the some of all the premiums we collect from, from our customers. This belief became overwhelming in the in the 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 institutional world, such that all you know a number of institutions were were systematically selling this these options, selling these insurance policies, believing that they would you know not have an event that would result in them losing all their money effectively that they've been collecting. And of course, like everything, you know, when something is too good to be true, it usually is. And we had a, a number of these these events in the last really three years that really wiped out uh, returns. So the first one that I point to is in Q4 of 2018, when we had that really big drop in the in the equity market, suddenly on concerns of, of yield curve sort of steepening. And then uh, obviously, like how often do people predict pandemics? I mean, this is, you can't possibly say that that was, that was any, within anyone's purview. So when that occurred, the same sure. thing, I mean, no one had that as a, as a, as a pro- being priced into their insurance program. So naturally, you know, sure. you had a number of these, ins- these sellers of insurance, these volatility risk premium yeah. strategies on the institutional world, they, they, they just weren't prepared for that. And they and they lost all the all their money. The, the, the interesting thing the the interesting thing about these strategies, and I think that the that the, the listeners will really appreciate, you know, this, because it's a psychological thing. So imagine, you know, we see our we like to present investment returns, you know, on a monthly basis, very often we show, you know, 12 months of the year, we'll show five years of performance. And so when you think about selling premiums, when you think about the 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 insurance approach, you're going to show maybe for 36 months, slight positive returns. And you're going to have this beautiful matrix of 36 months of really nice, small, positive returns. And then suddenly in the 37th month, you have this terrible negative result. And, you know, an investor looks at this and says, well, did I make money or not? Like you can't, like I have 36 months of positive and the one bad month of negative. Like, is this, did I make money? And the answer is no. You didn't make money, but my God, when you look at 36, you know, 36 positive data points and one negative data point, it sure as hell looks like you made money. So these, these elements of how it's presented really gave, you know, and, and fueled that confidence in, in these, in these strategies. And so imagine it the other way, imagine showing 36 months of slightly negative returns, buying buying these insurance policies. And then suddenly in the 37th month, you make a ton of money. And actually that money you made more than offset any of the small, you know, the 36 months of losses. That's a lot harder 
to to get investors to to invest in. And you know, probably the person most well had been most commonly cited for for this was Nassim Taleb and his Black Swan. You know, there's a he wrote a book called The Black Swan, and he sell he he always talked about these like these events that are never priced in to yeah. markets properly, yeah. and he would sell these you know yeah. the, the, these programs. So it's just it's just that psychological element that investors have been have become so accustomed to of seeing that small yeah. little gain you know every month and 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 by the way in the world of in the, in the derivatives world we call all strategies that look like that kind of return profile make a little bit of money and then have a you know short period of losing everything we call them short volatility <laughs> strategies there's really that, that that again that this terminology this vocabulary it's becoming increasingly popular because of what's going on in equity markets and and the popularity of this asset class sure sure that's great that's a good description you know i can i can tell you so i as i as i've said i run tail hedging so you know, I had that uh, two years of grinding spy puts and clients' portfolios, and yeah. then obviously an explosive return last February, which more than paid for itself. Right. But uh, that that definitely is uh, it's a classic example that people don't like to look at. So this is probably pr- pr- probably a good segue to tell me a little bit about how you construct the portfolio. Return profile does look pretty similar to that that you describe were consistent returns and maybe tell me a little bit about how you think about constructing a portfolio with the with the options overlay that that you have sure so so you know the unique element of what we what we just talked about which is which is you know the where I am, would emphasize to investors today is that that sh- I, I I couldn't I, I I can't say enough about how popular these short volatility strategies have become this idea of trying to pick up premium as a as a yield enhancement strategy and uh, as a result of that dynamic it has pushed the cost of this insurance if you will to record lows you know you can think about about the setup like why is this taking place i mean look interest rates are so low bond yields are so low it, it makes sense that people are looking for any other way to generate income. That is, you know, there's demographic arguments for that. There's just general portfolio construction, you know, reasons for that. But the truth is, is that there's a price, there's a there's a fair value for everything. And when you have so, so much emphasis on the, that one direction of, of just trying to pick up that, that yield enhancement, as opposed to, you know, looking at the underlying value or risk associated with the, the, the instrument, the, the, you can get yourself into trouble. And so what's happened in the equity, the derivatives marketing in Canada is that those volatility risk premium strategies have just resulted in these insurance policies, insurance policies being record low pricing. And I'll really like to explain what I'm talking. So, you know, normally, if you wanted to buy, you know, if you want to protect your portfolio completely, let's say you had a typical portfolio exposed to the index and you wanted to protect yourself. Typically, the cost of that protection would be six to eight percent of the, the the value of your portfolio. So you would if it, if the okay. if it expired worthless, you would have lost six to eight percent of your money. OK, going into, you know, the pandemic, that cost was two percent. And, you know, these are nonlinear wow. instruments. So, so like yes. that, that significant, you know, er, you know, decline in the cost is, is, you know, I can't emphasize it like it's 10 year decade 
plus the record lows. It didn't account for the risk. And so the ability to yeah. to acquire those positions on their own, and, and, and I remember at that period of time, you know, I was, I was pretty much shouting from the rooftop, like anyone and everyone should just buy some because they are so cheap. But in particular, the way that we deal with it, it's going to, it really sort of ties everything that I said together. So, you know, we invest in an area that the, the, the Canadian, we focus in Canada, and we invest in Canadian non-resource securities with an emphasis on companies that pay out dividends. And what we do is we take those a piece of those dividends and we buy these we buy these insurance policies. We we get exposure to long volatility, a long volatility strategy. And it's that dynamic, it's the combination of the fact that these these policies, these instruments are trading near record low value, you know, pricing, and the ability mm-hmm. to pair it with a a really proven investment approach in Canada focused on on dividends. And yeah. it, you know, that produces a really unique return profile. It means that, you know, in declining markets or significant economic events uh, like we've experienced, your, your options, your insurance policies are, are, are compensating or are, are covering any losses on your equities. The other element that's kind of yeah. interesting about it is it's tax efficient because you're able to take advantage of the gains and losses on these two instruments, which is very different mm-hmm. than a balance mandate where you're you know typically left with a tax consequence of selling your winner or buying your loser. So that's in like a declining market. In the sideways market, obviously, you know, you're trying to generate that that dividend, you're generating that dividend yield on your on your underlying equity positions. Of course, you're trying to add some alpha by picking picking some good stocks, but you're also able to trade around that volatility that that those option positions. And then in a rising market, you're doing your best to to keep up with the market, but you're gonna pay away some of your returns for those those insurance policies, that that protection. Now this type of strategy in particular is very, you know, is, is, is probably best deployed towards the end of, you know, the, the a market's natural cycle. It, you know, especially in the period that we are in today where valuations seem very high, you know, markets yeah. have produced, you know, excellent returns for investors over the last decade. There's a lot of red flags. You know, this allows investors to remain exposed and invested in equity markets without that fear that they could wake up tomorrow and lose and and see a big decline in the value of their portfolio. And and let's not kid ourselves, you know, for the buy and hold strategy, you know, if you're 25 years old, buy and hold strategy makes tons of sense. Uh, when you're 65 years old, that buy and hold strategy starts starts you know looking a little more questionable, especially yeah. for those individuals that are you know living off their 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 investments, RSPs or RIFs, where yeah. a decline in sure. the value of their portfolio does truly impair the the yeah. the assets because they are likely yeah. pulling out a little bit of money every month to pay for their lifestyle, sure. and so you are yeah. going to realize losses, and so it is so important that one considers their cash flow requirements and the way that they're mm-hmm. investing when they're thinking about yeah. about deploying a strategy like this this strategy yeah. or this you know this concept just like your tail hedges really ensures that you don't need to worry about being precise about your timing on your investments and when you're entering that retirement when you when you're done with the 
the the the idea that you know you're investing in the stock market, you think you're going to become you know very wealthy because you've invested in this. That 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 most people that I speak to when they've reached that point, they they just want yeah. a reasonable rate of return that accommodates yeah. their lifestyle, and uh, these strategies ensure that you can you can do that. Traditionally, you could do that with a balance mandate, you know, an equity you know an equity and bond mandate. But today, with yeah. interest rates and how richly valued bonds are, we're not seeing that that being possible. In fact, when markets draw down, generally sure. bonds sell off too. And so it yeah. really, you know, that that ballast that you need in your portfolio really can be achieved yeah. through through these volatility strategies as opposed to these more balanced mandates. Okay. All right. So kind of what you're talking about here is you'd be owning the stock, buying protection via puts, or how would you structure it? Yeah. So so we're doing it a variety of ways. But in essence, it, you know, we're, we're what's called we're long volatility biased. So, we, so we're owning these okay. these derivatives. But we do it in a number of different structures. So we look at put spreads, which is owning and selling a, a put option with the same expiry. We'll look at risk reversals, so funding a put through selling a call, taking advantage of calendar spreads by selling you know different expiries or buying different expiries. Uh, of of options, yeah. but but in essence, you know, at the end of the day, we are buying options, and and yeah. you know this the strategy you know isn't isn't too diff, isn't difficult necessarily to explain. It's it's hard to execute because of those liquidity yeah. issues in Canada. So so it's it it isn't meant to be complicated in terms of its explanation. Yeah, it's executing yeah. it that is the difficult part. I guess most major pensions and institutions would have this kind of desk. That they that that'd be part of their structure. That the case? Yeah, that that's absolutely the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is very unique from the perspective that it's an institutional strategy that can can work into individual retail portfolios. That that that's right. And 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 you know, so so I I've been managing this type of strategy for for institutional investors for for my entire career. And it really has been because of the changes to the legislation around uh, mutual funds in Canada that have allowed us to, mm-hmm. to, to provide this for investors in, uh, in more the, the retail client base. And so, you know, through these, like these, these new mutual fund rules, we now can provide, we can provide these same, these same strategies to all investors. Again, I, you know, I'd have to say in the U S there are a number of firms that offer these types of, of products in, for the U.S. Mm-hmm. markets. In Canada, it's much different. And yeah. again, it's because of the, the liquidity differences, the counterparty relationships sure. in Canada. Yeah. It's, it really is meaningful to be able to do this in a mutual yeah. fund structure, whereas yeah. historically, it's, it hasn't been able to be done. So one of the things I think we uh, talked about at some point is, you know, all the banks are coming out with these structured products, right? And right. uh, structured products, uh, auto callables, principal protected notes, so on and so right. forth. It, these are all structured with options, correct? Correct. As a result of when the banks want to put put something in place, what happens? How do they? How would they structure these deals? Is this where some of the opportunities come from? So a lot of the bank, the requirements for the banks to hedge. So when they're selling these 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 principal protected notes or these auto callables or any of these structured products, they 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 take on a liability in order to to reduce their risk. 
they will try and offset that in the options market with investors that are that are basically positioned to take on the other side of that of that risk for a number of reasons these structured products are very popular i don't want to go into to provide too much opinion on them other than saying that they're very lucrative products for the banks and so yeah. they have an incentive to 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 provide them and so like anything the banks have requirements to manage risk and so yeah. they naturally have to find counterparties to to offload that risk too and and if you're and if you know if you have relationships with the banks you can get very attractive pricing on that and yeah. so you know we're one of the the firms that the banks will come to to try and and hedge off some of that risk just provides us you know at the end of the day our goal is always to reduce the cost of that insurance policy or those options as much as possible and so we're able to do that because of the bank's requirements to reduce their their exposure to these products well, that's pretty interesting. I mean, I, I would think that uh, you'd be in a unique offer from, and you'd get to see a lot of deals because I know there's a lot of a lot of deal flow happening. This stuff is on a conveyor belt these days. The, every month they're selling these these notes, these structured products. So you know, if you if you had the Montreal Exchange up in front of you and you could see the monthly expiries of all the listed contracts, you could see. That at the end of the month, at the end of the expire, like that on that expiry date every month, you can yeah. see all the volume coming to the market. So you'll have, you know, 28 days of very little volume. And then on the 29th day, it's like tons of volume. So it's pretty systematic yeah. what's going on in the, in the markets here. As a result okay. of that, like I said, they're, they're just not efficient. And so for yeah. investors that are focused on this, there's real opportunity. Very interesting. I know you keep moving you multiple times have said it's, a very, it's an easy strategy to discuss. I mean, I still think it's, uh, it is a little challenging for people to still kind of wrap their head around the simplicity of options. It is challenging to completely understand them. I think you've done a good job of describing where the opportunities are, how they are, what kind of vehicles they are and, and how they trade and really how you execute. I think that sometimes when people hear options and volatility, it gets them scared. <laughs> and right. So, you right. know, I, right. I think as I look at your return profile, Maybe you can talk about the fact that actually options reduce the volatility and actually bring you can can kind of make that your your return profile smoother. So, like I said, we're we're we're, we're we like owning the protection. We like owning the policies. The the yeah. we the, the options can be used as a risk enhancement in a portfolio yeah. or a risk reduction tool in a portfolio. Yeah. And uh, we use them as a risk reduction tool, specifically Perfect. when there's drawdowns or significant declines in markets, our ownership of options is offsetting those declines, is, is providing us with a very significant return to reduce our, the impact of declines in, in, in markets. And so for our, for our strategy, what we do, in, in essence, is we're saying we're willing to give up a little bit of the upside because we're concerned about the frequency of drawdowns that we've experienced in the last number of years. And when you look at that over the last, you know, you know, let's say three to five years, 
that the that that exposure has resulted in pretty steady returns irrespective of market direction and again you know given that uh, you know we certainly believe we're later in the, the market cycle we actually expect these sort of you know bouts of volatility to, to continue and so having a strategy like this where you're where you're reducing the impacts of those of those periods of excessive volatility is going to smooth out your returns of course like we discussed earlier people who look to enhance risk in their in their portfolios could use options in that in that regard but uh, for yeah. us we're we're using them as as a tool to reduce reduce volatility. So again, it's best to think about them in the in the the insurance sort of framework. You can either be the Perfect. owner of the insurance or the seller of the insurance. And and we're Perfect. the owner. Uh, we're the owner of it. That's great. So I guess last last question for me, unless Scott has some, is you know what's the what's the setup like today? Seems like volatility's been coming down. So options are getting a little cheaper. What what's the setup feel like to you today? Yeah. I mean, the markets are—it's uh, amazing what's what's happened in the last uh, 12, 24 months. You know, at the end of the day, this volatility we've experienced has only been increasing, not decreasing. And I think you know people forget about that. Like volatility works in both directions, up and down. And right now we're on the upside of volatility. And so uh, for us, you know, that gives us that opportunity again to to buy the protection at, at exceptionally low prices. Which is what okay. we take advantage of. We're still making, we're still, we're, our returns, you know, in, in, in rising markets are, are are still more are certainly acceptable. We just know that we like to, you know, it's we like to hold on to those gains. We'll buy the protection in order to ensure that we're we're doing that. But uh, yeah. you know the you know the rise in, in in equity markets generally is met with con- general investor confidence, which means. People price in lower volatility or lower expectations of market drawdowns as that confidence builds, which allows us, you know, to buy buy protection at, at cheap prices. So it's the same sort of dynamic uh, that you know we've witnessed over the last number of years. Well, I think that's uh, I think that's all of the questions that I have. Uh, Scott, did you have a few uh, few come along? I just have one right here written down. Uh, what are options again? And what are your, if you could explain blockchain to me too while you're at it, that'd be good too. It's, we, we're certainly in a unique time. There's no, there's no question. The, the complexity of financial markets seems to, seems to, to always, uh, always be more, you know, always be increasing. But the, the truth is, is that uh, sure. I think like sticking with first principles and in investing is, is always, is always the, the best place to, to start. And I'll, I'll quote, you know, the famous, you know, Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger. It's like, you know, rule number one. Don't lose money. Rule number two: Don't forget rule number one. And so yeah. uh, that is that is the <laughs> that is the foundation of what we're doing. We're, yeah. when we're using yeah. options, it allows us to do exactly that: not lose money. And uh, I think yeah. after the years that we've we've had uh, of you know people seeing their wealth draw down forty percent in in a matter of yes. weeks, I think yeah. there's more and more appreciation for <laughs> for that uh, that kind of thinking. That's great. Awesome. Thanks, Ryan, so much. I really appreciate you taking all the time, explaining, answering all the questions you had. I think that's going to help a lot. Uh, All the viewers and listeners are going to appreciate all the conversation you have and have a better understanding for 
for both speculating on options, but using options as a, as a protection tool. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. 